Welcome to the Go Well podcast. This is Kate Mercer and today I'm talking with two wonderful women from Chronic Pain Australia. Alexandra Horden has seen firsthand the impact living with pain has on people's lives with her family members experiencing chronic pain for several decades. Alexandra joined the Board of Chronic Pain Australia to help amplify the voice of people living with chronic pain, reduce the stigma of people living with chronic pain, and ensure the Chronic Pain Australia community are heard and supportive effectively. Alexandra is an experienced policy strategy and advocacy professional with over a decade of experience in advocating for both consumers and business sectors. Fiona Hodson is a pain management clinical nurse consultant with the Hunter Integrated Pain Service in New South Wales and Australia and has worked in all aspects of pain service delivery over the last 22 years. She was a member of the Pain Task Force to develop the New South Wales Pain Model of Care in 2011 and Pain Project Officer for the New South Wales Agency for Clinical Innovation Pain Management Network which culminated in the launch of the Pain Network website in March 2014. Fiona was president of the Australian Pain Society from 2017 to 2019, with a particular interest in pain in the elderly. During her tenure on the APS board, she coordinated the revision of the internationally recognised Pain in Residential Aged Care Facilities Management Strategies Second Edition, as well as being a co-author. Fiona is currently Vice President of Chronic Pain Australia. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Alexandra Horden and Fiona Hodson, for joining me today on the Go Well program. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I think I'm directing this question to you, Alexandra, initially, uh, but perhaps both, both of you would like to talk to it. Can you just release the results of this national survey? So it looks pretty big. Can you um, describe what that was about and some of the findings, perhaps some of the findings that were unexpected? Yeah, absolutely, Kate. Look, we've had um, a phenomenal response to our national pain survey this year. Uh, Over 2,200 people living with chronic pain in Australia um, responded to the survey, which is a record. So we're really, really happy with that response. Um, I think some of the key themes that came through really strongly this year were um, around feelings of stigma and negative attitudes that led to ongoing feelings of vulnerability in the cohort of people living with chronic pain. Um, That sense of stigma was particularly strong in men living with chronic pain and there was a sense overall that uh, the rest of the community doesn't really understand the reality of the lives of those people living with chronic pain and that reality went to issues around uh, family and support, mental health issues and feeling socially disconnected and isolated the inability to access appropriate uh, services to support people living with chronic pain, particularly uh, around affordability of those services, uh, but also in many instances, distance and the ability to access those services outside of the home being challenging for people. And of course, we heard from quite a number of people that there's a fair bit of stigma that they face in the workplace as well. So more than half of our respondents felt like they are stigmatised because of their chronic pain. And 80% of those chronic pain sufferers think that it's really important for the public to understand what it's like for them to live with that on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Okay. And so how often do you run the survey? And have you found that a lot's changed just since you last ran the survey? I mean, I'm imagining that chronic pain is a difficult one because you don't see it like a broken leg as much, do you? 
Yeah, it's a really tough one. I often say to people uh, when I'm trying to explain the organisation that I'm involved with that chronic pain is somewhat like mental health was about a decade ago in that everyone has an understanding that there's a problem in this space, but no one's really talking about it very much or engaging with the problems on a day-to-day basis unless, of course, you're one of those people living with it or one of those people supporting those living with it. So we do run this survey every year. We've done so for, I think it's about five years now, and the sentiment over the years has changed somewhat. So at the start of our survey processes, we were getting quite consistently high responses, positive feelings from respondents about the way that their GPs and pharmacists helped them to manage their pain and engage with them. Those scores have been dropping over the years, and particularly in the last couple of years, we think in relation to the the government changes around regulating the use of opioids and uh, consumers feeling that perhaps their GPs aren't managing their pain as well as they used to. We are also seeing increasing feelings of isolation over the years, but I have to say that one of the great things that came out of this year's survey was the number of people who were able to use telehealth, when telehealth services were being bulk billed by the government through COVID, that was a really, really positive change. We had 76% of respondents able to utilise telehealth to meet with a GP and 67% of participants felt a really strong benefit from that capacity to use telehealth to access GP and other, other health services. Mm, yeah, I've actually heard this a lot, actually, across with psychology and mental health issues as well, that telehealth is working really well. But I heard you sort of say um, when that happened, are you saying that telehealth is now not accessible? So once the lockdowns um, and the, the wider lockdowns uh, were phased out, the telehealth uh, for many, many services was phased out. It has uh, been put back into place for a while with the larger lockdowns, but we, we anticipate that that will be phased out again. Mm, Well, I was actually really, really impressed with your website, Chronic Pain Australia. Can you just talk to that a bit, how that started? Even the story is is quite good. But I thought all the videos of people telling the stories were really, really good. Yeah, look, they're really wonderfully powerful videos, aren't they, Kate? And Mm. um, we are so grateful to the members of our community that are willing to put themselves and their stories out there in the public view because it it takes a lot of courage to say to the world, look, I'm I'm one of these people who is living with chronic pain um, and... I find it really difficult. And I think that's one of the reasons, well, it is the key reason that Chronic Pain Australia was founded. So back in 2001, we had the most amazing founder, uh, Dr. Coralie Wales. She's just a, an incredible powerhouse of advocacy and compassion for people living with chronic pain. So she was working with a group that she called the Chronic Pain Group. And as her work with them was coming to an end, she was keen to ensure that those clients weren't isolated and left feeling on their own. Coralie, of course, being the amazing person she is, realised that it wouldn't just be that group, that there would be people living all over Australia who are isolated and in pain. And the chances were that those people were experiencing consequences of poor community understanding about chronic pain and how they were living their lives. Coralie hit the phones uh, and started speaking to a range of different organisations and very generously the Rotary Club of Thornley provided some seed funding to the organisation to get it off the ground. And since then, it's been largely a volunteer-led organisation, so our board are all volunteers. All of us have some experience with chronic pain, whether it's living with it ourselves or having family members living with it. And we're all really passionate about breaking down those barriers and that stigma for people affecting chronic pain. 
And really our goal is to reduce those barriers and the isolation and unnecessary suffering experienced by the 3.4 million Australians living with chronic pain every day. Thank you for explaining all of that. I'd like to go into how important it is that we all understand, I guess, what pain actually is. So maybe that's uh, going to bring you into the conversation here, Fiona, because I know that on your site, you've got an area that you can go into about pain physiology and the nervous system. So what actually happens in the body when you're suffering from ongoing chronic pain? Thanks, Kate. Well, as we all know, at one stage in our life, we'll all probably have an acute pain experience. And this is just in a very simplistic terms because we could get very detailed on it, is that pain is usually as an alarm system. It's like a warning system. So if you put your hand on a hot stove and you remove it because of the pain, because there's these pain receptors in our at, at our skin level and that uh, travels up to the, the brain where it's perceived as pain. And so therefore that means that you will remove your hand from that danger area. The healing process with that generally is around, you know, up to three months is sort of the how we categorize it. And with chronic pain, what happens is that it's related to this ongoing, um, like there's no longer the tissue is generally healed. uh, And what's actually happened then is that the pain still persists, but there's actually no injury there. And it's because the nervous system becomes sensitized, like oversensitized. And that's when people end up in this chronic pain state. So that's why it's so really important for us to do this prevention side of things with acute pain where Generally, people have some medication and then then the healing takes place and um, they're in a good space and then they move on and then the pain is gone. But when it lingers on and on forever, it starts impacting on their everyday life. And that can be because they're quite depressed or they've become anxious or they've been involved in other issues that are happening around them that actually causes their pain to sort of become all-encompassing. So we actually see chronic pain as it's more about the perception of the brain and really less about the structures. Nonetheless, it's uh, it's very impactful on many people. Yeah, it's a really interesting area. And I have actually done a bit on the show previously about, about opiates. So I guess uh, in this country compared to America, it uh, seems to me uh, we're onto it in a way because I think they're not prescribed nearly as much as they used to be. But that does put people who are in pain and maybe who have been used to taking them in the past in quite a position. So these, that's, is that what sort of um, started this, these new pain clinics around Australia? Can you tell us about those? Well, yes, opioids is one of the um, modalities that we use for pain management. But the uh, tertiary, well, what we usually refer to as the tertiary multidisciplinary pain clinics. And when I mean multidisciplinary, that means we generally have doctors, nurses, um, psychologists, physiotherapists, OTs, dietitians. They've been around probably over 20 years now. They're in every state. There's public and there's private. It's it's really to offer that multi-pronged, multidisciplinary um, management for people because most people just generally are prescribed medication mm. in the community mm. uh, because as Alexandra had mentioned before, it's very difficult for people to actually afford to access other services in the community, particularly also if they're in the country, like rural or remote areas, 
they just don't exist. So you can't find a physiotherapist. They might not exist. They might be 500 miles to the next town. Therefore, most people, if they have pain, their GPs would tend to have prescribed them only medication, which we know long-term is not necessarily the best way. But for those people who've been taking them appropriately and as prescribed, it has allowed them to actually have a, you know, a fairly good life where they can function, they can go to work, they can continue to socialise with their family and so forth. So I think in some ways, and that's what we picked up with our survey, is that the barriers that the government has put in, which is around safety and harm minimisation, which as a clinician myself, I actually agree uh, with that. But I think what's actually happened is the big stick approach has actually forced some GPs to not want to prescribe anymore. And therefore, that's left many chronic pain patients without anything to manage their pain. So the pain services are available for people. And generally, if people were wanting to do more self-management um, approaches, it's usually um, quite good for them to uh, be referred to them. But uh, in many states across the country, some of the waiting lists can be up to three years. So it's not something that uh, is as accessible as we would like. Yeah, well, because well, we are in a rural area here, uh, this is going out to our little community in central Victoria. So that's going to be of interest to a lot of people here. So some of the treatments that you're talking about on the website include neuromodulation, psychology, the medicines you mentioned, physical uh, therapies, uh, including Feldenkrais and acupuncture and physiotherapy, lifestyle programs, TENS machine, I was interested that that was there, and medical cannabis. I think most people would know about a lot of those things, perhaps not neuromodulation. What's that? Can you talk about that? Well, neuromodulation is, again, it's one modality that can be offered and its, it's, it's other name is spinal cord stimulation. And it's a bit like if you think about a TENS machine, it's an internalised type TENS machine that uh, works on uh, that, those principles of, um, you know, masking the pain um, by using the um, modulation process. It's not something that is often um, available. Again, it's very expensive, but for those people that have used neuromodulation, uh, it works very well for them. Again, it's not one of those things that you would necessarily use in isolation. So again, you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. So again, mm. you would be probably needing to have support from physiotherapists, looking at your diets, looking at reducing inflammation by using uh, the, the dietary approach. As I said, it's lots of different things that go in to support people in pain management. So not usually not one thing works for everybody. Okay, so um, once again, given that we are in a rural area, so what would we be suggesting to people if they're listening in and they are experiencing chronic pain and they can't get into their doctors and they don't have access to the pain clinics and there's no more telehealth, can they go on, what can they get from your website there? I mean, we have some resources on there, but we've also got links off to many other really good pain management websites that people can find other resources that might suit them better. There is a few online programs, again, around psychology, uh, mental health type um, programs. Some of them um, have a small cost associated with them. But the other thing that we have on our website and a very exciting project for us next year is that we were actually received a grant to develop and do it as a co-design project with consumers is to build a pain portal where we've got consumers telling us what they would like on a website. 
But one of the things that, that we will continue with is that we've got an online pain forum that people can connect with others who are experiencing chronic pain and ask questions and what have you that is moderated 24 hours a day. Sometimes just connecting people with other people who've got conditions uh, similar to theirs is usually very helpful. But as I said, generally going to you know government-endorsed websites as well that have evidence-based uh, resources and that on there, is, and of which we're the same. We will only put things on there if there's actually, you know, it's supported by the evidence. But there is a lot of dodgy things out there. But I think generally, if it's we've put it through our eyes, we're going to make sure that it's there for everyone else to review and, and use appropriately. Yeah. And I guess at this point, we should at least tell our listeners what the website is. <laughs> so it's chronicpainaustralia.org.au. Correct. Okay, correct. Good. And I did want to talk to you because as a clinician and I, I saw that you actually have done quite a lot of work with older people uh, and that was also one of the links that I got when I was looking through I was interested in. What can you share that might be of interest to uh, elderly from, from, what you've, from your findings in terms of managing pain? Yeah, it's, um, as I said, we're an ageing population, so it's a really important thing and it was one of those um, areas that I've, I took an interest in. Um, as previously, I was a past president of the Australian Pain Society, which is also a multidisciplinary society. Uh, we were looking and targeting more around the undertreatment of pain in residential aged care. So that's where a lot of my focus has been. But Generally, the principles with older people is, you know, that we need to keep moving, we need to stay physically active because of our ageing joints and all of that. And I think that those principles, you know, sit well with all of us, even, you know, in middle age. But I think getting people connected in the elderly, connecting onto, you know, local community groups is a really good way. So where people can get a sense of purpose if they're involved with rotary groups so they can get out and about. Even just, you know, your local Tai Chi or, or yoga groups and that for it, there's actually ones which the government is supporting uh, around uh, the elderly population. So it's hard to say. It's it's one of those things. I think you've just sort of got to try and find the local local supports that you've got. And, and as I said, most states have got targeted resources for the elderly, especially around falls preventions and things like that and staying active. So I, I actually think they're really quite good resources and they also include good things about healthy food and looking at our weight and all those sorts of things as well. And it's probably not as specific, um, but I, I think just um, looking at those sorts of things in the initial stages and that's where you sort of end up linking up with others like-minded and then, you know, that's a great, great thing to move forward and connect with them. Yeah, certainly all the things that we talk about on Go Well as well. You mentioned the undertreatment of pain in aged care. Can you talk to that as well at all? Yeah, uh, just um, basically part of the problem in aging is is sometimes is the elderly them, themselves. A lot of us ex, uh, expect pain as we age, so a lot of people don't actually speak up and say that they've got pain. But particularly in the elderly population, there's a lot of cognition is people have uh, dementia or they obviously have other disabilities. And when you've got an impaired cognition, like with dementia, it's hard for a staff member without the skills of knowing how to assess someone, whether they know that they're in pain or not. Mm. 
So that's where the Royal Commission got into the inquiry and they actually were finding that a lot of people were given lots of these psychotropic drugs, basically chemically restraining them. Uh, and it was probably that, you know, it's hard to know definitively, but most of those patients probably had pain. So it's really having a skilled workforce and unfortunately funding in aged care, whether it's residential or community, is quite poor. So really what we need to do is have upskilled staff caring for these people, whether it's in residential care or the community around pain management. So assessment and also what is appropriate for that individual because it certainly needs to be patient-centred for it to work for that individual. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's really just good to get an understanding of where that's all at. Is there anything else that either of you, you still there with us, Alexandra, would like to share that perhaps I haven't asked you today that you think it's important for people to know about regarding chronic pain? Uh, Look, I I would just say that um, I encourage everyone to reach out to people that they know who are living with chronic pain and just check in with them. Make sure that they're doing okay and, you know, if they're up for having a conversation with you about their experiences, listen with curiosity and empathy and and understand what they're living with. Yes, fabulous. And uh, Fiona, did you have anything that you'd like to say to finish off as well? You know, I agree with what Alexandra said, but again, that listening thing was one of the big things that came up and empathy in the survey for people with chronic pain. So whether that's family member, health professional, what have you, and I think they're the key things to help people who are living with this every day listen and empathise and support, really. All right. Well, look, thank you both very much for coming on to Go Well today. And uh, Thanks so much for having us. Yep. Yeah, thank you.